for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. I'm delighted to welcome you here to the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco and to welcome you to our Points of View program this evening, Wednesday, March, it's March, Wednesday, March 4th, 2015. <clears throat> As I'm sure most of you know, the Center for Dance Education produces many, many adult education programs, including these, the points of view, the Meet the Artist interviews, the Ballet 101 program, Talks on Ballet, um, some new programming this year. I'm hoping that you will all go to the San Francisco Ballet's website, sfballet.org, where you can learn all about these programs and a whole lot more. It's a great website with lots of interactive features and lots of video. <clears throat> um, I want to get right to the, um, the feature <laughs> for this evening because um, we've all been subject to San Francisco traffic and things like that. So uh, we appreciate your being able to be here. And I don't know if you want to tell us about where you've been and what you've been up to, but we'll get to that. Well, uh, just as you all know, the traffic has gotten so bad that it used to take me 10, 12 minutes to get here from where I live. It took me over 25 minutes now. And, um, but I'm sure everybody ex experienced the same thing, so, and the potholes. Well, and I know and that the, uh, <laughs> you were out of town and just arrived back, and we really appreciate your being here for this. Um, this is one of those, Helgi Thomason, artistic director and principal choreographer, uh, really needs no introduction. I do want to um, just review, you can look in your wonderful program for this kind of information, but uh, Helgi was trained in his native Iceland, studied and performed his first professional life in Denmark, made the trip to New York City, um, joined the, uh, for further training, joined the Joffrey Ballet and then the Harkness Ballet. In 1969, traveled to the, I believe it was the first Moscow International Ballet Competition. Yes, that's yeah, correct. Where he took the silver medal. And I don't know why, but we always seem to find it important to say that perhaps the only reason you only got the silver medal is that the gold medal went to Mikhail Baryshnikov. <laughs> um, returning to the States, joined the New York City Ballet where he enjoyed a really, really stellar career for 15 years before arriving in San Francisco to direct San Francisco Ballet 30 seasons ago. <laughs> 30. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. Um, but. Amazing. Um, I've done a minor amount of research, and 30 years is, is an unusual long tenure in the contemporary ballet world, certainly. Um, I believe that Auguste Bournonville directed the Royal Danish Ballet in the 19th century for almost 50 years. I don't know if you're going for that record. No, I'm not. <laughs> I was not even aware of that. Um, one of the things that, um, of course, we want to 
go back in that brief outline to uh, a couple of significant points. But I wanted to really just spend a few minutes talking about this, this 30 years. When you accepted this position, you came to San Francisco, can you look back and remember some hopes and dreams for the company that you had at that time? Sure. Um, well, first of all, I would never imagine at that time I would be here 30 years later. Um, I had uh, been hired by the board of, of directors of the ballet to come here, and I believe I had a two-year contract. Mm -hmm. um, and they asked me to, if it's possible, for me to make this company a truly, uh, not only a national, but international mm -hmm. level. And um, I said, sure, I can do that. <laughs> Having never directed a company, but maybe that's, maybe that's why I was, had gall enough to say that. Um, but that's what I really set out to do. And having worked with New York City Ballet for 15 years as a dancer, uh, with both Balanchine and Robbins, it was sort of, uh, the standard was so high there uh, that that's what I was used to. And, you know, I wouldn't settle for anything less than that. So I tried to uh, make the dancers understand at that time what I was wa wanted to do and help me make it possible because it, it takes also them to make it possible. Um, but I think it sort of little by little it just happened. Um, we would uh, have an opportunity to go touring, particularly to New York. That was very, very helpful and getting that recognition of the company uh, in a very favorable way. Mm -hmm. So I think um, that's, that was, really was my goal, to make it what the board had asked me to do, to make it a truly uh, international level company. Um, and uh, well, I, I'm still here. <laughs> my uh, follow-up question, and you've pretty much answered it, has in, have the things that you hoped for and dreamed at that time come to pass? And making the company a company of international renown has certainly come to pass. Uh, I wonder, it, has anything surprised you over 30 years or looking back now at 30 years? Yes. I think truly can say that the biggest surprise has been how quickly these 30 years have gone by. And in a way, I kind of don't like to be reminded of it because <laughs> it's so, uh, it can't be. But any artistic director, um, it is truly a 24-hour job, seven days a week. And so it just, it never stops. You're always either in season or you're planning things or you're looking at other companies and looking for choreographers, you're looking for dancers, you're looking, attending to the school. It never ends. And, um, Maybe that's one of the reasons that it's, it's hard for me even to believe that it's been 30 years. 
But I think also what, what took me a, quite a while to get used to after I moved to San Francisco, that having lived in New York, um, where you truly have the winter season and the summer season, little bit of a spring, that much, and, and fall, you kind of could identify with what, what you were doing at last winter or last summer or whatever. And as you know, here it's sort of spring all the time. And I looked out of my, the window of my office and I couldn't understand why the leaves were always green on the trees. You know, when, when is winter? When is, <laughs> when, when is snow or whatever? So I think that's one of the reasons. It's just, it's been just continuous um, without a stop. And like I said, my biggest surprise is how quickly, how quickly those 30 years have gone by. Well, we are, um, our audience and myself, because I'm going to be in the audience tonight, are looking forward to seeing Dances at a Gathering. <clears throat> when I saw it um, 11 or 12 years ago here, I knew that I had seen one of my most significant theatrical experiences. I loved it so much. I'm so glad it's come back. This is a pretty significant piece for you and for just all sorts of reasons. And I think it would be fun for us to go back to uh, your biography. And there you were, you had moved from home to Denmark to begin your professional career, pretty young. Yes. And who do you meet but Jerome Robbins? Can you tell us about that meeting? What are your reminiscences about meeting this man? Um, well, first of all, I met him in Iceland, oh, not in Denmark. Okay. Wow. They had... Um, They've left that out of the notes. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jerry Robbins was traveling with his own company called Ballet USA. They traveled in Europe. And I had... I was in Copenhagen uh, studying, also dancing professionally uh, in the summer. And I had decided I would also stay in Denmark that winter. And to pay for my classes and housing, I, I took part in a musical, uh, My Fair Lady, which had just been produced. So I, every night I was out there dancing and, and actually to supplement that income, um, I also took part in what was like school performances for children who were brought in to see, I think it was Knickerbocker Holiday. So that was like an afternoon performance and rushing back to the, the theater to do the My Fair Lady, and this was for several months. But just before we started that, um, the performance was delayed uh, because of illness to the leading uh, actor in that show. So um, I decided that maybe I should go back to Iceland for maybe a week or 10 days to see my family, and I know my mother wanted me to come home for a few days. And that's where I met Jerome Robbins. He was then on his last touring engagement um, in Europe, in Iceland. And uh, <clears throat> my, I had a, a Danish couple that were my teachers in Iceland. and. Uh, the wife was there, but the husband had, was staging something in, in Germany at that time. And so she took me to the performance, and I liked it very, very much. 
And she said, well, she was so taken with it that she said, you have to audition for this gentleman, for this choreographer. So we got it arranged the next day that I would uh, have an audition. I would take class with the, uh, his company. And, you know, I was, what, uh, 17? Awfully nervous. And um, he gave class on stage. I was there. Uh, I was sort of in the back. And, and so there were a couple of the dancers who were very nice. They said, no, no, come up front. He wants to see you. And they pulled me up all the way up front. Um, so I met him, and my Danish teacher, um, her name was Lisa, um, asked him if it was possible for, for him to take me as an apprentice in the company, and he said no, because uh, this was basically a not permanent company. It was a, a sort of a pickup of dancers in New York, and uh, they were just on this tour, and once they got back to New York, that would be the end of the company. But um, he said, I will, let me think about it. And in, within a very few weeks, I received a letter from him offering me to come to New York uh, to study, uh, further studies. And uh, that's uh, what I did. Um, and from then on, uh, he sort of, how can I say, uh, in a way, he was my mentor, mm -hmm. in a way. He looked after me, made sure I, I was okay. When he brought the company together again, Ballet USA, uh, the end of that winter that I was in New York, um, he wanted to see my progress, and he said, come down to some Broadway theater where he was holding auditions for Ballet USA to go out again. And I believe there was over 200 dancers that auditioned that day. Um, I felt completely out of, <laughs> out of place uh, because he had asked everybody to be, bring sneakers because some, one of his ballets was done in sneakers. Well, uh, he told me to come back and things got cut down and cut down and, and finally uh, there were about five of us left. And he said um, to me, he said, no, I'm not going to take you on tour. Um, you should stay here. It's much more important for you to stay in New York and, and um, sort of put the last uh, last few years, or last year of your, your dancing in the, in the school, of Amer school of American Ballet. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, I would be really ready. And, and he felt I was more suited to a classical ballet than his Ballet USA, which was more, a little bit more contemporary at that time. He said, you can always do that later, but I think you should stay and, and do the other one first. Um, so that's, you know, we had a great friendship and, and I didn't go. I was disappointed, of course, but it turned out it was really better for me that I hadn't gone. And um, over the years that I was in New York, uh, he always uh, was very, very nice to me and uh, would invite myself and my wife to his house for dinner with some other dancers, or I invited him to our house for dinner. And so it was, it was very nice. Mm -hmm. 
Well, fast forward from that first season to um, then you danced with the Joffrey Company and with the Harkness Company. Yes. And then the, um, the famous trip to Moscow, which took mm -hmm. place in 1969. What I've put two and two together, um, Dances at a Gathering premiered in May of 1969. You danced in Moscow one of the solos. In June. Right away. Yes. So what I'd like to, or what I would like us to hear from you is, how did you get folded into learning Dances at a Gathering repertoire before it was even premiered and before you were even a member of New York City Ballet? Um, the whole thing started, we were, I was with the Harkness Ballet at that time, and Mrs. Harkness, Rebecca Harkness, uh, approached me one day and said, um, I've just been told, she said, that there's a big international ballet competition taking place in Moscow uh, in a few weeks. And um, I think you should go. It would be good for you to go and see other dancers from all over the world. It would be a learning experience. And, and the only thing we have to put the application in, the deadline is day after tomorrow. <laughs> okay, so we did that. And we got the instructions from the Russian consulate in New York, saying that I needed five, if I was going alone, I needed five solos uh, over the three stages. If you make the first stage, you go in the second stage, second, third stage. Um, so I tried to pull the repertoire together that I knew that I felt that we would sort of represent what we were dancing at that time in, in the West in New York. And so I went um, to see Mr. Robbins. We had coffee together, and, and I said, uh, this is what's happening. Is there any, any chance that you would have time or be willing to choreograph a, a, a solo for me? Because I need some solos. And he said, no, I just don't have the time. I'm in the middle of a, some Broadway show, and I just, there's no, no time. But, uh, I have just premiered this ballet called Dances at a Gathering. It has two solos in it. And um, I think you can have one of them. Um, so he brought me to the theater up to the Lincoln Center and got a dancer who had danced it, teaching it to me in an hour or whatever it was. And um, when that was done, I went down on the stage and he was sitting where you're sitting, all alone, and, um, well, actually, he was not sitting alone. I didn't know at that time, but he was sitting with Lincoln Kirstein, who was the founder of San, of San Francisco, of New York City Ballet, <laughs> uh, with Balanchine. So I danced the, the solo, and um, he made some comments, and everything was fine, and, okay, you can take that. Amazing. And to best of my knowledge, this is the only time that he has given permission to any dancers to dance any of his ballets or works in competition because he really didn't like competitions. But he did give it to me and he gave me an opportunity to dance that there. And clearly you made it through the first round and the second round and the third yeah, round. And, and the third round, yes, that's and, uh, true. And then I, I found out that I needed one more solo. Um, they said, no, no, you need six. And I okay. said, well, the translation said five. Niet, 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 niet. You need six. 
Um, this was all through an interpreter. Um, and uh, my wife was with me. We were there. Had, uh, I had brought a little tape recorder uh, with music where I could warm up myself and have, do my own classes. So I didn't know what to do, and we talked about it, and we decided that um, the solo that Eric Brune had danced in Swan Lake, from Black Swan, would be a great solo for me. So we went uh, the next morning down to the canteen uh, for breakfast, and there is the, the Danish delegation, whom I knew, the dancers, and, and, and I asked the head of the delegation, his name was Frank Schaufus, who was a big dancer <laughs> yeah, right, at that time, right. um, if, if he would teach me the variation. Sure, yeah, that's fine. So over breakfast, I learned the variation for a black swan. And later that afternoon, I had a pianist come and she brought the music because I had told them what I was gonna do. And she said, well, through the interpreter, she said, I can only stay uh, for 15 minutes because I have to play for the other competitors who were on stage in a very short time. So luckily with my little tape recorder, I said, um, well, play the variation three times, you know, slow tempo, medium tempo, and a fast tempo, and I will figure out what I want. And then I saw her again, 10 minutes, two days later, 10 minutes before I went on stage to show my, my version of this black swan. And she said to me, what version did you, would you choose? And I said, whatever it was, the slow one, I can't remember which one. She said, okay, fine. And she went over to the piano and I walked on stage and I danced it. <laughs> so, so there are times you really have to learn something very quickly and, and, and just get on with it. And because it was something that uh, was very recognizable to the Russian audiences, you know, Black Swan and Tchaikovsky music, they just loved it. They thought that was the greatest thing. So I had a big, su big success with that. But that competition was wonderful because, uh, um, yes, I saw a lot of dancers, wonderful dancers. Uh, Misha was in there, of course. Uh, he came and watched everything that I did because it was so new to him. Um, but it, it wasn't easy for the, all those days to be all by yourself because most of the, almost all the other dancers, there were about 79 dancers uh, from all over the world. Each of them, you know, they're mostly in couples. They had brought their own teacher, uh, some had brought their coaches, some had brought their, their physiotherapists. <laughs> and here, my wife and I were just with a little tape recorder. <laughs> and when we came on stage and I had to practice my, my solos, you only had so much time. And what, what lighting do you want? This was all through the interpreter. What, what do you need? And I was trying to think of what I had to dance and what I, this enormous Bolshoi state stages were wonderful and oh, huge. So poor Marlene had to go out with the lighting director <laughs> out there and tell them what light to put on and this is too much, no, not enough of that, or give me something more. And all of a sudden this big gong on the side of the stage sounds, your time is up, out, next. <laughs> 
And that's how it was, you know. But, well, I still managed to get, come away with silver medal. Silver medal, and that's really gone down in the history. It really has. Um, so then you came back after this silver medal. Um, you must have joined New York City Ballet very, very soon after that. And I'm wondering, was Jerome Robbins, Jerome Robbins had rejoined City Ballet just in time to um, create Dances at a Gathering. So I'm wondering if there was a connection there or if Balanchine um, was made aware of you somehow. Yes, there was. Uh, when I came back from Moscow, this was in June, and the Harkness Ballet was going on tour in Europe. Um, I'm going to say in the fall. And I still had a contract with them, and I had to, to honor that. But I had met with Mr. Robbins afterwards, after Moscow, and I just sort of told him that uh, this had been an eye-opener for me uh, to see so many dancers from all over the world, and, and finding out that you know I could you know compete very well against all of them, and um, there might be time for me to think of moving on to another company. And I, th for me, I had in mind New York City Ballet, um, and we sort of left it at that, you know. Um, then. I went on tour uh, in Europe, and on this tour, uh, the Harkness Ballet went through sort of big crisis with uh, artistic director, and uh, Mrs. Harkness um, let go of that director and was looking, was ready to hire another one. And I think that was the sort of the final point for me because they would have been the seventh artistic director while I was with Harkness. And I said, no, that's enough. I, I, I need to move on. And um, it must have been some news in New York because I get a telegram from uh, Balanchine's assistant saying, when you come to New York, please come and see us. Which, of course, I did. Um, and uh, it was interesting because I both with Joffrey Ballet or Harkness Ballet, when you went in to talk to the, the artistic director, you usually went into the office and you closed the door and, you know, whatever had to be said or discussed was always like that. And here I come to the State Theater in Lincoln Center and I'm supposed to meet Mr. Balanchine just before the performance. And um, he used to stand uh, for most of the performances right in the corner of the first, what we call first wing. So um, his assistant brings me over to him and, uh, hello, how are you? And he said, would you like to watch the performance? And I said, yes, of course, you know. So we went out, we sat in the first balcony and watched the performance and spoke very little. He was not very much of a small talk person. So we went back after that and um, I'm thinking, okay, they did send me a telegram, you know, come and, <laughs> come and see us when you get back to New York. Um, and I remember he came backstage and it was sort of this awkward moment and, and uh, he said, well, if you have nothing better to do, why don't you come and take class tomorrow? And I thought, 
here I am without a job. <laughs> I have a, a one-year-old little boy and a wife to support. And he's saying to me, if you have nothing better to do, <laughs> come and see me. And uh, that's how it started. Uh, and, um, I was there for 15 years. I loved the time I was there. And uh, both Mr. Balanchine and Robbins uh, not only put me in a lot of his own ballets that had been choreographed prior, but also new ballets that were being choreographed. We'd, I think, love to hear more about Dances at a Gathering specifically. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, and I got sidetracked that, there. No, this was fabulous. No, uh, we're going right where I was hoping we would go. Um, uh, I joined the company. I, in July, and actually my first performance was in, in Saratoga, their summer right, right. Mm -hmm. place. And <clears throat> I, I want to say there was no more than a, a year in the company before I learned um, the role of the brown boy in Dances at a Gathering, which had been choreographed for Eddie Villela originally, mm -hmm. and for some reason, I don't know what that was, but I understood Edward wanted sort of out of that role. He didn't want to do that anymore. So it fell on, on me to dance that role of the brown boy, literally for years before anybody else did. And that was the solo you had done in Moscow? Correct? One of the solos, yes, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But it's, it's it, I mean, first of all, I think it's one of my favorite ballets of, of Mr. Robbins. And it's truly is, um, it's, it's a classic. You know, it, it's become something really, something special. Um, and to do it well, uh, you have to put a lot of work into it. It looks so simple and so easy, but it's not. Uh, but I think, I dare say, uh, I was very proud of the company when they danced it here. Mm -hmm. This is, to my understanding, the first of the so-called piano ballets. And that has become a genre that's pretty familiar to us now, but this was the first. So when it was first done, it was very innovative to have the dancers wandering onto the stage and interacting with the pianist. That's true, yes. And then he did, uh, what, other dances, mm -hmm. which I also danced a lot. Um, in the night. In the night, yes. They're sometimes considered a suite, aren't they? All of those piano ballets to the Chopin. Um, well, he loved Chopin's music, mm -hmm. and, and he just had a, such a, a feel for that music mm -hmm. um, that he finished one, and, and he was ready to start another one. <laughs> I was wondering how you would compare Dances at a Gathering in the overall repertoire of Robbins' works. Um, he didn't do anywhere near as many works total as George Balanchine, but each work he did seems to be very different yes. from the others. And I was reminiscing about some of the pieces that are in our repertoire, The Cage, yes. uh, West Side Story Suite. Mm -hmm. um, Fancy Free. Fancy Free. The Dreamer. Opus 19, The Dreamer, yeah. and, and back to Dances at a Gathering. How many, how different could each of those pieces be? And I'm wondering if you have any just observations to make about the creativity of, of the man, Jerome Robbins. Uh, 
One of the ballets that I remember that he created for Patricia McBride and myself was the Dibbuk. Even different. Yeah, mm -hmm. very, very different. Um, and Mr. Robbins did not really like to tell you verbally what he wanted you to do. In other words, he did not want you to have a preconceived idea or a certain way that you thought that he wanted you to mm -hmm. dance or whatever. So he, the less said for him, the better. So you just had to watch him very, very carefully when he choreographed and get the feel of what he wanted and uh, the feeling. And, and uh, he was not a, an easy man to work with. Um, there, were, there were dancers that were really uh, afraid of him, did not feel easy because he was so demanding. He was, you know, he expected 110% of himself and everybody else who was in that room. Um, for whatever reason, um, Patricia McBride and myself always seemed to get along with him fabulously. There was never any problem with us. So uh, we, we really enjoyed working with him. But like with Dibbuk, it was, uh, and there was Bernstein's music. And it was wonderful to be in that studio when he was, had choreographed uh, certain passages and then wanted Leonard Bernstein to come in and see what he had done. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they will disagree or argue a little bit and, you know, each one had their own opinion. But it was, it was very, very exciting to work with him. I loved working with, with Mr. Robbins, even though he was very demanding. Like, for instance, Dances at a Gathering, which I had already danced so many times. And in over several years, uh, before each time we danced it, um, he would call a rehearsal. And we had to dance it absolutely full out, like a performance, to make sure it was absolutely what he wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, he did not want it to slowly becoming um, something else, something starts slipping, or would not be his choreography anymore, or his, his timing. So he was a, a, a stickler about that. Um, but. Um, I like working with him very much. Yeah, as you know, it's our custom to invite the audience to ask questions. We have um, just a few minutes, if you're all right with that. Sure. We have a rather um, complicated choreography here. The microphone is right here at the foot of the aisle, and I'm hoping that some of you anticipating this will have a couple of questions, and you can make your way to the center, to the foot of the aisle here so that your questions can be easily heard by us and by others in the house. So now is your moment. If you have a question, please approach the mic. And while you are doing that, I'm going to just flip through a, three or four pictures we have um, from San Francisco Ballet's production of Dances at a Gathering. Um, 
Why don't you start your question? Thank you. I just love this ballet. I started 20 years ago coming here when your young dancers would stand at the back with a fairly empty, half-filled audience and hoot and holler for each other. And I knew they were competing strongly against one another, and yet they supported each other. And I thought that had to come from you, and I just love everything you've done here. And I'm, I you. came last week twice to see Miles Thatcher's um, uh, dance, and can you tell me how you have such confidence in such young men and give them opportunities that maybe no other director would ever uh, dare to do with somebody so young? And thank you very much for being here. We love you. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Good question. Um, uh, first time I saw a little bit of Miles's quote, choreography was uh, for some of the students in the school. And um, maybe having been around for so long as a dancer and a, and a director that I just knew right away that this was something that needed to be uh, cultivated, given an opportunity uh, to flourish and see what would come out of it. So I asked him to do a few things for the, the school, which is, I think, a very good place to start because there's doesn't have the pressure of quote, professional dancers. And um, each, each thing he did, I could see that there was a, an enormous growth there and in talent. And um, he did something for our gala last year. A couple of years ago. Yeah. 13, 2013, I think. So, you know, I thought, why not ask him to do something for us, for the company? Um, it's just my instinct. I, I can't tell you exactly what it is that I saw, but my gut feeling was that uh, he absolutely deserved uh, uh, an opportunity. And this is really um, the latest in a string of promoting choreographers from within the company. Yes. And I think that's one of the noteworthy things about the San Francisco Ballet's history actually dates back to Willem Christensen who did the same thing and Lou. But um, that being able to look into the company and see someone who's not just performing. That's right. I think it's, it's important to, to uh, when I see something like that, to help, help them along. Another question. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for everything. You have taken this company, a first-class world, first-class company to a world-class company. And this is it's fabulous. I love coming every week. Um, Thank you. My question is, are there many times when you tell the dancers uh, who they're going to be paired with that somebody gets upset with you and says, I don't want to dance with him or I don't want to dance with her? Does that happen often? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it works both ways. If a choreographer is coming in to stage some, or to choreograph a new piece, uh, it usually means that I give them a, a free hand to choose whomever they want, from the principal down to the corps de ballet. Um, and they will choose whoever they think is the right thing for what they want to create. Um, when we are doing something that has been done before, and uh, let's say a Balanchine ballet, or a Robbins ballet, um, yes, there are people who come out from the um, Balanchine Trust 
and the Robins, but sometimes they don't know the company very well, so I guide them along and say, you know, this is a good pairing, this is, you know, would work very well. Um, maybe those two would not be ideal, but, you know, it sometimes depends on height. But, um, yes, I, I, um, I have my, my say in it sometimes. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. All right, we just barely have time for one last question. Thank Real you. Quick. Okay. Uh, most audience members only get to see the magic, the finished results of, of your work. Um, 25 years ago, I had the privilege of, of working here in ticket sales, uh, corporate ticket sales, and my office was overlooking the choreography studio where you were teaching the dancers. And so I got to watch the evolution of a particular work that you were doing. So since then, and then I saw it performed, then over the course of 25 years, I've watched the evolution of your work, and uh, it's just been a spectacular, ever-growing, ever-amazing, and ever-creative endeavor of expression from you. How do you decide, and how far in advance do you decide what you're going to be doing over the next couple of years? Great question you to finish like up what, with. What the seasons are going to look like. Yeah. Um, usually it's about a year and a half, two years down the road. Um, like now, um, <laughs> I bet if you asked me what the rest of the repertory of this season would be, I probably couldn't t tell you because I've already done the, the following season and I'm thinking of even the one after that. Mm -hmm. uh, particularly when you're dealing with um, choreographers that you're interested in coming in and choreographing, you have to schedule that. You have to make sure that the time that, that they have available to do something for us is the same time we, we are here, either not in season, but in rehearsal period. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a lot of planning and um, mm -hmm. programming um, is not easy to do and it takes me, uh, several weeks to, to come down to the final version after many, many different versions. Thank you. Sure. Before we say our thank yous and farewells, I do have to um, mention the, your version of choreography as you exit. Um, first of all, thank you all for asking good questions. Some of you are not holding tickets for this evening's performance and for you, if you will just go out the way you came in, on the right-hand side, your right-hand side, you will be able to exit the theater. Those of you who are holding tickets, go out the same way, but then you can head forward to the main lobby where your ticket will be scanned. And I understand there are still some tickets for this evening's performance, so if you came in not sure whether you wanted to stay, but now you know you do, make your way out and around to the box office where you can get tickets. And one last little plug for going to the website where you can catch, um, for instance, a podcast of this interview, which would be wonderful to review um, Helgi's reminiscences. And Helgi, I want to thank you so much for really those um, very warm and um, um, entertaining and also informative. We're going to be recording your biography at some point and these will all feature. Um, again, thank you so much for being with us and thank you for these 30 years. Well, thank you. Thank you for, well, thank you for being here. Thanks. Enjoy this evening's performance.